Good morning and welcome to um, my home. My name is Zach. I'm the pastor at the Mission Church. Welcome to Church Online. This is our 11th online church service. Um, it's incredible that it's been that long. I'm so glad you're joining us. Um, I'm excited about today's passage. Um, we're going to be preaching from the book of John, chapter 12. And here's why I'm excited. The passage we're going to look at is the last public sermon that Jesus gives. So I, don't want, I want you to get this picture in your mind. Jesus has been doing public ministry for three and a half years. He's been doing all of these different miracles. He's been preaching and teaching day in and day out. And here's what we're going to see in this passage. The first part of it is going to begin with how the people were responding to Jesus' teaching and preaching for these three and a half years. Their response, and then the last part of this passage, is Jesus' last public sermon that he gives. And I, and I want you to pay attention to two things. One is... Notice what was the response of the people when they saw Jesus perform the miracles and when they heard Jesus teach. And secondly, what is the last thing that Jesus teaches on? So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. Um, I really hope you do have your Bibles and, um, and maybe a piece of paper and, and, and a, a, a pen or a pencil to take some notes. Um, and as you turn to John 12, I want to remind you, I'd love to connect with you. If you are um, joining us online for first, second, third time, if we've never connected, I'd love to connect with you. And a real simple way to do that is just to text the word TMC Connect to this number right here, 94000, and it'll give an opportunity for you and I to connect. So John chapter 12, the first part of this passage is John, the author, telling us how the people were responding to Jesus. And, and take note how they responded. It says this, When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, what was their response? They still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah had said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Now you might be going, what in the world does that mean? What is that saying? We'll get there. That'll be probably the end of our sermon here. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of them. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. They, they, they didn't want to confess that they actually believed in Jesus. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So that is a description of, of how the people were responding to the ministry of Jesus. And namely, they responded with unbelief. And many who did believe, they didn't want to admit it 
out of fear of persecution. They might get kicked out of the place they worship, the synagogue. Now, verse 44 through verse 50, this is the last public sermon Jesus gives, and I want you to pay attention. What does he preach about? What does he teach about? It says, and Jesus cried out, and he said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Did you catch that? What is the last sermon that Jesus speaks about. It's about judgment. And more specifically, the final judgment. I want to entitle this sermon, Joy in the Final Judgment. I, I'm going to be honest, I've struggled with that title for a while. It was the final judgment or just judgment. But, but joy in the final judgment, which seems like a little bit of an oxymoron because let's be honest, when we think of the concept or the doctrine of judgment or the final judgment, um, we, we probably don't think of joy. In, in, in fact, you probably did not wake up this morning and go, you know what I want to hear about? You know what I hope, really hope the sermon is about? I really hope that it's about judgment, the final judgment. Um, but here's what I want us to see. And here's what I hope we will see, that there is joy in the final judgment. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.10, I think, gives us the clearest picture of what the final judgment really is. You might be going, what, what, what even is the final judgment? Um, we need to understand that when Jesus came into the world, he did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And, and he said that in this passage but one of the things that scripture teaches is that Jesus is going to come back again. And when he comes the second time, he's not coming to save because he did that in the first time. The second time that he comes, he's going to come to judge. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.10 puts it this way. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In Jesus's final sermon that he preaches on, he preaches on judgment, the final judgment, the fact that every single person that has ever lived will stand before Jesus and give an account of their we will all stand before Jesus and be judged. And listen, I, I could have just easily passed over this sermon and not preached on judgment, but, but I think we need to hear this sermon for at least a couple of reasons. One, Jesus talks about it. It's his final public sermon, so we should probably listen. And two, here's what we're going to find. 
if we can rightly understand what the final judgment is about, what you're going to find is that what you're going to experience is not fear of the final judgment, but rather freedom in the final judgment. And, and, and rather than feeling a sense of judgment, what you're going to be feeling is a sense of joy. So let's talk about the final judgment. And I divided this sermon into four parts. Um, the just news of the final judgment, the bad news of the final judgment, the good news of the final judgment, and then finally sharing the news of the final judgment. Let's start with this, the just news. What do I mean by that? How many of you believe that the word of God teaches that our God is a God of justice? I hope you believe that because that's what scripture teaches. We believe that our God is a God of justice. And he, here's what we need to understand. To have the justice of God, you must have the judgment of God. Or to state it negatively, you cannot have the justice of God if you do not have the judgment of God. We saw a perfect and very unfortunate example of this in recent weeks. Maybe you watched the news or read the news and you heard about this story of a young man named Ahmad Arbery. Ahmad Arbery was, is a young black man. He was out running, and there, there's a whole video that captures this. He's out running, and two white men shoot and kill him. And what happens is these men don't get arrested um, because it was their understanding that he was fleeing maybe from like a robbery or something. And so they don't get arrested. Well, the video gets posted on social media and goes absolutely viral. And what is the... What is the social media? What does the whole nation say once you see the video? And if you've seen the video, I don't recommend it necessarily. It's so heart-wrenching. And when people saw this video, what did they cry? Injustice. Injustice. Why was this considered an injustice? Because a crime was committed and there was no judgment. Do you see that the only way you can have justice is if there is judgment. And if we desire our God to be a God of justice, if scripture truly teaches that our God is a God of justice, well, there must be judgment. He can't just sweep people's sins under the rug and go, well, you know, better luck next time. And so what we need to understand is that to have a God of justice we need to have a God that judges, that, that all people will be accountable for their actions. Now, what does this mean for you and I? How can this even be practical? There's actually something extremely practical about this. Um, in Romans 12, 19, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it. To the wrath of God. 
For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Here's what's incredible about the judgment of God. It means you don't need to feel responsible to bring revenge on those who do you wrong. Because God says, I'll take care of it. It also means you don't need to bear the burden of bitterness towards those who have hurt you. Because God will take care of it. And, and it even goes further than that. Listen to what the, the next verses say here. This is in Romans 12, verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you can feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's what's something so incredible about the judgment of God is that we don't feel like we need to bring the judgment in the revenge towards others who've hurt us because God will take care of that. On the flip side, it means we can love our enemies. We can forgive our enemies. We don't, some of you, listen, some of you are bitter towards others because you're unwilling to forgive them. Is there anyone in your life you, you, you are refusing to forgive? My guess is you are refusing to forgive them because you think that if you forgive them, you are letting them off the hook. And what God is telling us is, listen, they will give an account for those actions. So stop being burdened with bitterness and instead begin to forgive them. Love them. I'll, I'll take care of the justice and the judgment here. You love them and you forgive them. So, so you see, the whole judgment of God, it allows us to be set free to love and to forgive others. So that, that's the just news about the judgment of God. Here's the bad news. And we're gonna, this is going to be real short because it doesn't need to be long. Here's the bad news. We are all guilty and deserving of God's judgment. We're all guilty. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We all deserve judgment. And, and if you are sitting there going, Well, I, I may have done some bad things, but I've done quite a few good things. So doesn't my good outweigh the bad? And the answer is No. Someone who is con convicted of a crime, who is on trial, they can't stand up and say, listen, I did the crime, but I, I, I don't think I deserve to be judged because there's all of these other good things that I did. No, no, no. The judge and the jury is going to say, but, but even you, though you did good things, there's still this bad thing that you did that you are liable to for judgment, and we need to understand, as painful as it is, we all fall short. We, we all deserve to be judged by God. We are all guilty. So, so what do you do with that? Well, you look to the good news. Here's the good news. 
Jesus did not come to judge, but to bear your judgment. Here's the good news. You deserve to be judged, but Jesus took your judgment upon himself. If you go all the way back to John 12, 27, it says, Now is my soul troubled. This is Jesus speaking. He says, My soul is so troubled. And his soul is troubled. The reason why he's saying this is because he knows that he's about ready to go and die on the cross. He says, My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. What, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, my soul is troubled because I know that the hour has come for me to go and die on the cross. But should I say, God, Father, save me from this? And he tells himself, no. No, I cannot be saved from this. No, I cannot divert. This is the reason why I have come. I have come to bear the judgment that every single person deserved. I have come to die so that others might live. Back to verse 46, Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus came as the light. And we need to understand that that light, when he went on the cross, was plunged straight into darkness. If you read the story of Jesus' crucifixion, pay attention to the language that is used. Pay attention to how the story plays out. In Luke's gospel, it says that Darkness. Jesus was crucified in the middle of the day, and yet darkness came over the land. Why? Because the light of the world was plunged into darkness to save you and I. John 5, 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You see, here Jesus is. Jesus, who has the right to judge the world, has come to take your judgment upon himself. Here Jesus is, who has the right to judge you, takes your judgment upon himself. When you look at the cross... It is, it is bloody and it is violent, is it not? Nails driven through his hands and through his feet. He's beaten to a bloody pulp. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. A spear is uh, eventually thrust into his side. I mean, it, if you have never seen the movie Passion of the Christ, um, it is so hard to watch because it is so utterly violent. And I'm one of those people that has a hard time with blood. And, 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 and you can't help but just like it turn away and your stomach gets sick because it's so utterly violent. And do you know why? 
Because what Jesus was doing on the cross was taking the judgment you deserved. The bad news is that you and I have sinned and we fall short of God's glory. We fall short of his mark. We deserve judgment. But the incredible good news is that on the cross of Jesus Christ, our judgment has been taken from us and put on Jesus. And so Jesus says, if you believe in me, you don't even come into judgment, but you have literally passed through judgment. That, that literally your judgment day has come. It's already come. You've already passed. And so when you stand before Jesus, because there is going to be that day, Revelation 20 paints this picture where we will all stand before Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says it too. We will all stand before Jesus. We will give an account of our life. And we will stand before Jesus. And if we know Jesus as our Savior, our names will be written in the book of life. And God will say to you and I, you are righteous. Come and spend eternity with me. My son's debt is counted for you. Do you have that? Do you have the truth of the gospel, the good news that Jesus' death on the cross paid for you? And it means even more than the fact that your judgment is taken care of. Um, if you read Romans 8, 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It means also that if you've... Some of you have some sins that you've been carrying a long time. And now that you know Jesus as your Savior, Jesus says, stop feeling guilty about those because I paid for them on the cross. There's no condemnation. And so it means that you don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to feel shame because Jesus paid for that. It means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He rather sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ on you. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5 says. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus' death on the cross has not only taken away our sin, but has put on you and I his righteousness. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and God will say, I see righteousness, not sin, not and that is the incredible good news of the judgment. That is why we can have joy in the final judgment. Because Jesus has paid for our sins. But listen, listen. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? Have you, have you surrendered your life to him? Because Jesus says, if you, if you don't believe in me, then, then, then you will stand before the judge in and you will be held accountable for your sins if you have not let Jesus be the Savior of your sins. The passage um, began with some really interesting um, and kind of shocking um, points that is connected to judgment but, but might not feel like it's completely connected to judgment because it's more about belief. Um, 
I don't know if you noticed this shocking statement. Um, in verse 40, it says, he has blind, it's talking about why the people did not believe in Jesus. And it says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes. What is it saying? It's literally saying that God, the reason why they did not believe is because God blinded their eyes and God hardened their hearts. But what's interesting, if you keep reading, is in verse 42, it seems to see, it seems to say something completely opposite. Namely, it says, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. They didn't confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And so literally what this is saying is that these religious leaders refused to confess their belief, that, that the reason why they did not believe is because there was pride in their heart. It's because they had hardened their own hearts. So, so this is really, really interesting here where it begins by saying they did not believe because God hardened their hearts, but then it says they didn't believe because they hardened their own hearts. So, 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 so which is it? Did God harden their hearts or did they harden their own hearts? Um, this is not the first time you see um, this seemingly paradoxical idea. Do, do you remember the book of Exodus? At the beginning of the book of the Exodus, God is delivering the people of Israel out of slavery from Pharaoh, and he brings all of these plagues. And the word hard or hardened um, appears 19 different times in the book of Exodus, and it's always referring to Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And, and if you read it, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But then if you keep reading, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then it said God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And back and forth it goes. And if you read the book of Exodus, you can't help but go, wait, stop, wait a second. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh harden God's heart? Which is it? And you know what the answer is? Yes. Completely. Totally. This is a, actually a major theme in scripture of God's absolute control and sovereignty and will. And yet, you and I have a choice and a responsibility to our actions. And unless you carry this tension, a whole lot of the Bible is not going to make much sense. In fact, it's going to be hard for you. There's a passage in Acts chapter 4 where it talks about how the rulers of the earth had set themselves up against Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And then two verses later, it says that God had put his hand and his plan on Herod and Pontius Pilate and predestined that they would put Jesus to death. And so you read it and go, wait a second. Was it Pontius Pilate and Herod who put Jesus to death, or was it God who had his hand and in, in, in predestined it for, for it to happen? And the answer is yes, totally. And we have a hard time with this, don't we? We want to make this a zero-sum game. We want it to be like 50-50. Well, like, 
Sometimes God is in absolute control and his sovereign will is being done. And then half the time we have this choice and responsibility in the matter. Or, or maybe it's 100-0 and it's all God and, and not us. Or it's all us and not God. Or maybe it's like 80-20. Like God obviously has more control than us. Um, but like maybe 20% of the time he kind of gives us some wiggle room. Or maybe it's... 80 us and 20 God, like he gives us all this freedom to do what we want, when we want, how we want. But there's these moments where things could get really, really bad. And so he just kind of like jumps in and, and saves us 20% of the time. And the reality is it's 100-100. My mom gave, shared this quote with me this, uh, this past week. It's from G.K. Chesterton. And he says this, the riddles of God are more satisfying than the solutions of man. And if we try and mess with this tension between it's 100% of God's sovereignty over our life and it's 100% of our responsibility, if we try to come up with a man-made solution, put God in our nice little neat box, I'm telling you, you are going to miss out on a lot of what God has for you. And what we need to go to is understand that this is one of those riddles of God that may not make sense in our human minds, but is extremely practical, helpful, and empowering. Because here's what this means. It means this. It means that God is going to do the work. It means that God is in control. It means that God is sovereign. It means that God has his hand completely on this. It means that God is going to do his work, but it also means that he's going to use you in the work that he does. And the way that Jesus applies this is he applies this to salvation. He applies this to people's belief. And he somehow makes this connection with the judgment. And here's how I want it to connect with you and, 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 and really an opportunity you have. The reality is that there is a final judgment. Like we don't, again, that might be hard for us, but it doesn't change the fact that that is the reality of the situation. And you might have confidence that, yes, I know that I'm going to stand before Jesus with joy in the final judgment because I know that Christ has died for my sins. But listen, you and I have friends and family and neighbors that don't know Jesus as our Savior. And we are being reminded, Jesus says, I am the one that brings them to salvation. I am the one that makes them believe. But Zach, it's you who I use to get that done. It says the Pharisees refuse to confess. They refuse to confess their belief in Jesus out of fear. And guys, I want to remind you that God is in control, and it is God who is going to bring your friends and family to salvation, but he wants to use you. 
He wants you to be faithful and responsible. Will you? Will you be faithful? Will you be responsible? Will you trust that God has a plan? Will you trust um, 1 Timothy 2 that says God desires all people to be saved? doesn't mean all people will be saved, but it says he desires them to be saved. Will you trust that God has just as big of a heart and love and compassion for that person that doesn't know Jesus as you do? Probably way more. It is God who will bring them to salvation, but it is you who he wants to use. And Jesus provides this reality with the backdrop that there is a final judgment that everyone will stand before Jesus and it's only people's faith in Jesus that will bring them through. Let me close by giving you an opportunity to consider four questions and how they connect to this passage. And you can find these questions in our worship guide, um, which is online under our church online tab. Is, is there anyone you are holding back forgiveness or love from? Be, be reminded that God is a God of justice. He'll take care of those who have wronged you. Either Jesus paid that debt on the cross or they will stand before God and give an account of their life for it. So you need to forgive and you need to love. Is there any sin you still feel condemned of that you need to let Jesus' grace cover? Listen, Jesus died for your sins. He covered that. If you're carrying guilt and shame, you don't need to do that anymore. There's no condemnation. And then lastly here, two last questions. Who in your life needs to hear the good news of Jesus? Who? Name them. Write that name down. And then lastly, do you proclaim Jesus? It is God who is sovereign in the salvation of others, but it is you who he uses to get that work done. Are you being faithful in that responsibility? I sure hope that you are. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that though we have sinned and though we have fallen short of your glory, you sent your son Jesus to die in our place and to take the judgment we deserve. Lord, would you give us courage to proclaim you to those in our life that do not know you. We pray this in your name.